It's an opportunity attack. Hey fellow grognards, this is Dean Geiken, joined by Eric Hawley, and we have an opportunity attack for you. Uh, this is what we're calling Understanding Critical Role. Yeah. There's some big developments lately, so Critical Role's in the news. Yes, we had a slight discussion yesterday um, while doing a podcast, and we thought this would make a great opportunity attack. And what we're talking about is the pre-order of the explorer's guide to wild mount right which is one of the continents in matt mercer's online streaming campaign critical, critical role. role now is wild mount this explorer's guide to wild mount is this written by mercer that i didn't okay quite so catch. there's a lot of confusion about this it's yeah. published by wizards of the coast mm -hmm. and they have mercer listed as a contributor but from what I've read online, he wrote the vast majority of this. They, they had some support in cleaning it up for publication and adding more detail. Because obviously, as a, as a game master, you're only putting in what your party's running into, and maybe you have some stuff working in the background. Mm -hmm. But if you want to publish a campaign setting book, you need a lot more detail than that. So people took what he had and sort of expanded. So, so it, he was more in, a, in an advisory role? I, I don't know how he's actually listed, but he, he wrote the majority of the content. But obviously, you know, Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, they're not going to put out some, some half-baked product. So they had a, my understanding is they mm -hmm. had a team work with him to flesh okay. out the rest of it and, and bring it up to... To publishing standards, yeah. essentially. Well, we should mention that anything that Matt Mercer touches seems to turn to gold, much like one of the highest-funded yeah. Kickstarters ever. Yeah, and they had so, but they also had another campaign book put out by, I believe, Cobalt Press, the Taldori, which is the other continent in his campaign world. Okay. So this isn't a first-time thing, but yeah, you mentioned the Kickstarter, fourteen million dollars. Is or it something. really that high? I think it was somewhere between ten and fourteen. It okay. was. It was a lot. Okay. To make. A cartoon series. <laughs> yeah, it should have plenty of seasons now, with that much money. Well, here's here's what happened in a twist of fate. So they had a cartoon. Now, keep in mind, all of the voice actors that do Critical Role, and that's mm -hmm. who they are. For people who don't know, Matt Mercer is, is arguably the, I don't know if I would say premier voice actor, but he has done a ton of voice acting. Right. And he's recognized in the voice acting world. And all his players... Also do voice acting. Mm -hmm. So they have side jobs. Critical so, so role is not actors. their full-time yeah. job. They're actors. Now, they were playing Pathfinder prior to starting this Critical Role stream, and they converted to 5e when they started Critical Role. That's a question I'd like to ask, is why did they shift to 5e? They got asked. I think oh, they were okay. part of... Uh, now, <laughs> I am not a Critical Role expert. We'll talk about that <laughs> you're, in a bit. You're, you're putting but, yourself but off But I read one. a lot about D&D. So yeah. uh, my understanding was that I believe they were with Geek and & Sundry, and Geek yes. & Sundry wanted to do a stream mm -hmm. and said, hey, you have a game. We want a stream. How about you do 5th edition? So they just converted their characters over from Pathfinder, Pathfinder to 5th yeah. edition. And there was some bumps. There was a player, I forget his name, very controversial, who who was part of the group originally that that went his own way. And it, online, they keep it amicable, but you can tell there was some stuff going hmm. on in the background. Hmm. Um, but he didn't want to make the conversion. I think it was a control issue or something. Oh, I, okay. It's it, for people who are into it, they can probably speak way more on it than I can. But so they converted. 
they then sort of took off. And it's funny because I have a picture with my son Ian at Gen Con in 2016, which mm-hmm. wasn't that long ago. No. We're wa- walking through the exhibit hall, and I was aware of Critical Role. I, like I said, I keep up on stuff D&D related, and I knew they were sort of becoming a thing. And I saw Matt Mercer just standing looking at something. I go, hey, Matt, can I get a picture of my son? He's like, sure. So I have that picture. And it's just like it's practically an empty exhibit yes. hall. Right? Would not happen now. At the most recent convention, they had to get the police to escort the critical role cast through the convention area. Which is really kind of crazy if you yeah. think about it. I mean, they're just so. So anyway, they get this Kickstarter. Then after they do this Kickstarter, they expand to like a whole season and then some. Mm-hmm. Amazon, I believe it was, yeah, picks them up. Is it Amazon or Amazon, was it? I think it was Amazon. Prime. Maybe it was Netflix. One of them. Yeah. Okay. One of the big, one of the streaming services picks them up for us for more for a mm-hmm. second season, right? So they are, you know, the, this force, and that was not easy to do because they had already committed to all these Kickstarter backers to be able to get access to the first season. It was Amazon because they were trying to figure out how to do the Amazon Prime. Because the Kickstarter backers needed to be able to access the first season, but Amazon Prime also wanted it on Amazon Prime. Okay. So, um, so that must have been a big money deal, right? And and last November, I saw Mike Merles at Gamehole Con, and he gave a little talk. And afterwards, uh, he had mentioned some or somebody had mentioned Critical Role, and. I went up to him. I said, you know, I got to tell you, I run a lot of D&D at conventions, at game stores, and Critical Role has brought so many people into this hobby that you you should be writing Matt Mercer a check. And he goes, oh, don't worry. We're going to take care of Matt Mercer. Right? Yeah, and I think that's kind of what we want to get into a little bit here, and this is not going to be, you know, ad nauseum, but it does seem, as I said, uh, when Matt Mercer puts his hand to something, it turns to gold. The books themselves in pre-order are outselling all other yeah, D&D so, pre-orders, so correct? the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount hit number one on all Amazon books. It, and it's it, not even out yet. It's not out. This is based on pre-orders. Yeah. So it bounced up to number one, which has outsold all of the other books except for the core books. And know. if you think about it, that's, from our viewpoint, people who've been in the game that's, for such a long time, that's, that's freaking crazy. That is. That, okay. <laughs> but here, so let's, I want to take a step back and let's start at the beginning because there's a lot of sort of steps to go through this. So okay. let's just talk about online streaming, right? There's a there's a significant generational difference. Mm-hmm. And and the reason, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, because we're grognards, right? right? We're not your typical Critical Role fans. And I'm, I wouldn't even consider myself a Critical Role fan, but we'll talk about that. Anyway, so a lot of times I hear... Longtime gamers, grognards, say, who the hell wants to watch people play d and I'm kind of one of them. I okay. mean, I don't, I've never so, really explored it. Maybe I'll enjoy it. But so I let me ask you one question. How old, were you, how old were you when you started playing d and 11, 12. Okay. Would 12-year-old Dean Geiken have watched Critical Role given the opportunity? Yes. Yes. Same for me. I consumed every mm-hmm. bit of Dungeons and Dragons I could have got. Absolutely. Right? And I don't think that's a factor of age. I think that's a factor of you discovering the game and going, holy crap. And you're just this devouring awesome, everything. Yeah. Right? You're just devouring everything. You're, you're absorbing as much as you can. So, so that's a big part of it. Most of these Critical Role fans are new to the hobby. They have not been exposed to RPGs before. Which, again, to you and I, just seems so weird. Yeah, that it was so long ago for us yeah. that, uh, yeah, whatever. 
Then you also have the general generational difference that that's the kind of media they consume mm-hmm. as a as a generation, right? right? We don't, you know, when when memes were a thing, I was yeah. like, I, I don't get this. Like, <laughs> what? Like, I still don't really get memes. Like, okay, you take a picture, yeah. and you put something funny on it. Do you? Need, I mean, I, I guess like, yeah. and then, but it has to be the same picture. Right. But then pictures get old, and nobody wants to use them anymore. Yeah. It's really rather random. But mm-hmm. if you're that generation that's connected all the time, right? So, yeah. so. Streaming is a thing. We just have to sort of accept that. Right. Now, I do watch Critical Role, and I've actually managed to keep up on the second season. I didn't make it through the first season. I I fell behind, and I didn't keep up. But the second season, I tend to run it in the background, Mm -hmm. and I'll sort of listen with half an ear. I'll be painting minis, or I'll be playing Kerbal Space Program, and it's running. If you ask me details about it, I would not be able to tell you. Okay, well, let me ask you, as someone who's not watched it, what exactly are you getting out of it? Are you hearing, I mean, obviously you're hearing a better ways to be a DM, but are you, are they playing the mechanics? Are they, okay, so how exactly does it all work together? I mean, because in some of the games I do, it, it's just absolutely tedious to even be a player sometimes. Yeah. And you're dragging us into the Mercer effect, but here's the appeal critical role for, for me a little bit. Um, and I think for in general, Okay. One, for people who've never played D&D, you get to watch people play D&D. Mm-hmm. You see how, because D&D is not an intuitive game. If you have a group that's never played an RPG and they want to play a D&D game, they have no idea what they're doing, right? Yeah. So so it's handy for that. But most to- most people have access to a D&D game or someone who's played. The second thing is they're all actors. Okay, so, uh, Ashley Johnson is actually on some TV show. She's a voice actor and a, a real actor. So it's to their speak. job. Not to, not to besmirch. It's their job to role play. Yes. And not only do they role play, but I've actually been after my daughter to offer a workshop on um, improv and character development because I see that becoming more of a thing, probably because of critical role, but also as RPGs uh, age and mature. It used to be that we played the character sheet. Whatever was on the sheet, I'd say. You looked at your sheet, whatever, and you tried to, it was problem solving and it right. was number crunching. And now there's definitely a group out there that wants to play the game to develop an imaginary persona. And far be it for us to besmirch that. You and I were in medieval reenactment, right? Yeah, I was exactly. Ariok the Quick. <laughs> I was Hans von Draka. And, yeah. you know, we had our own personality yeah, I mean, and our own backstory and so all that. So we good did stuff. that somewhat different. Now, because we thought D&D was for the dice rolling and a number crunching, right? But the the newer generation, they want to really work on their character. Mm-hmm. They want their character to, to move through this world and tell a story. And Critical Role does that top notch, okay? Right. Matt Mercer has an immersive, deep world. The characters, they spend a lot of time before the first session coming up with backstory, adventure hooks, details about their background that Mercer can then work in. I mean, they are telling a, it's cooperative storytelling, and that's what they're doing. Now, on top of that, they're all actors. So when they have a character, uh, the character Caleb it has a German accent. So every time he talks, he talks with a German accent. They uh, First season, they had one who was a barbarian, Grog, and he was, you know, the the guy who played him was hilarious, right? So mm-hmm. so they add that much more depth where if you close your eyes and they speak in character a lot of the time, almost all the time, actually, they very rarely are they out of character. 
and they spend a lot of time interacting between characters, which okay. is different. Right. Okay. So, so that's they're almost the, doing a little bit of improvisational. They are. They are. I mean, and and just within the dynamics of a D and D game. Yes, and that's not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. So is the the way you're explaining it, it almost sounds like the game is secondary. It almost is. And that's my actual... that's one serious criticism. These people have been playing D&D for over two years, for three years, four years, yeah. fifth edition, and they still don't know the goddamn rules. Okay? They... Really? They... Mercer knows his rules. Okay, he gets right. caught up every once in a while, like any DM. I mean, mm-hmm. you're on the fly. You're like, well, what's, what's the range? Wait, can you, know, can you target that and spell? And then the, the player doesn't see? know it. Uh, no, the player never knows it. I've never seen a player crack a player's handbook. <laughs> <laughs> they, use, they use D&D Beyond, so they got better when they started using that. Okay. Uh, before that, it was, it was abysmal, right? You're playing D&D for four years. Learn the goddamn rules, especially around your character, mm-hmm. okay? Like, you should Oh, that's ready. the worst part, yeah. They are so wrapped up in the storytelling. And, and just, that's my pet peeve, because I tend to be a number-crunchy kind right. of guy. Yeah. Like, I, I enjoy that part of the game. They don't enjoy that part of you the game. You could, pr- I mean, you would be a good role player, but I think that you might kind of break their system if you went into their game. Actually, it's, it's funny, because Mercer runs a very similar game to the home game that I run. There's a lot of political No, intrigue. I mean as a player. Oh, as a player. Yeah, yeah. I, would, <laughs> I would get kicked out. People would be like, get that guy off the podcast. Yeah. He's, he's an a-hole. <laughs> I'd be like, what do you mean you don't even know? He, like, 2D4 plus 2, dude. It's a healing potion. Like, you've, you've had a hundred of them. Like, yeah. But um, I guess they depend on him, Mercer. They do. To have that information. Now, and they just say what they want to do. Now, my other criticism is that he tends to be long-winded in his descriptions. When, he, when they first enter an area... He will go on almost like I, I would have to guess if it was typewritten pages, it's like a page or two. I mean his wow. descriptions go on and he's and it's like the the lane is lined by blossoming flowers, the scent of lily well, that wafts point, over you. Like that's his typical like entry to an area description. And I'm guessing that has grown and expounded upon with the popularity and the growing, uh, well, the growing the popularity is, of, the the sh- of the podcast. He's the DM. So most of the things I people I see are players, right? Okay. That, and that's one of the things I mentioned online that I, I get a ton of backlash anytime I post anything Critical Role online. I Somebody asked if we were going to see Critical Role in Adventures League. And I said, you know, probably not for a couple reasons. One, uh, it's not a Wizard of the Coast setting. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, even though this campaign book is coming out, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to open it up for Adventure League. The other thing is the people who run games tend not to be Critical Role fans. The play, Many players are Critical Role fans, but they don't have enough gaming under their belts to be comfortable running a convention game or a game shop game. And that's no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm just, just pointing it out that people, you know, they want to play for a few years before they go, okay, I, I can run a game. And even then, they're always a little, a little nervous about it. Well, should we talk then about that whole idea of people coming into the game? Obviously, Critical Role... Matt Mercer and those people who are part of it are good for D&D. Yeah. Well, hold there's the Mercer effect. Well, that's what I was getting yeah. ready to talk okay. about. They are good for D&D. But at the same time, I am hearing a little bit of criticism about the whole effect of the Mercer effect and people expecting that level of gaming when they go. And granted, um, some of the people who do this, uh, you know, take that point of view... Are 
gentlemen or people, players like ourselves. Yeah. They're grognards. Okay. Yeah, they're mostly grognards. Mm-hmm. Now, so, so here's my, I can't speak to anyone else's experience, but I have probably met less than 100, more than 30 critical role players through my travels, mm-hmm. okay, run that many, probably more. I don't know your, everybody. I've in run. your games, in my games, I have never had a negative experience okay. with a critical role player. So nobody okay. has come up to you and says, no. "Damn it, no, you're just no good." I want yeah. all this. As a matter of fact, Matt the Mercer most stuff. recent one sort of apologized. He goes, "This is my first game." I found out about D&D for Critical Role. I understand it's not going to be like Critical Role. <laughs> At least he understood that. <laughs> yes. And he said that, like, right up front. He's like, I, I don't expect that. I just want to play D&D. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it looks fun. So uh, this Matt Mercer effect, truthfully, I don't put a lot of weight behind it. And if anything, I think it reflects insecurity of grognards and jealousy of longtime D&D dungeon masters for the most part, yeah. that here's this young upstart, Matt Mercer, who's only been playing since 1987, and why does he get all the attention when he doesn't play D&D the right way? I think that's what's driving the Mercer effect personally. And I'll, and people are probably, you know, no, that's not it at all. It's blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you play your D&D game, right? right? You can't deny that they... They have some validity in their argument. I mean, you, I could see where people, you know, would be afraid of that. But again, I also agree with you that they are probably insecure or maybe they're just kind of disgruntled about the fact that it's not yeah. the way they play I mean, the there's game. There's one rule for a D&D game in my book. It's everyone having fun. Right. Yeah. If everyone's having fun, you're doing it right. I don't care what rules you're using. We used to do pvp we'd have character battles mm-hmm. I mean, yeah that was ridiculous crap. we used to have that oh. but everybody loved it we, yeah. we would like we'd ask for it we're like let's do another arena <laughs> yeah but now uh conversely do you think that the whole we're just going to call it the mercer effect or the critical world effect is giving some energy and life to osr you know, it's making people kind of want to go back. You know, I don't, I, I'm not saying that they're fighting against it. Yeah, but OSR is old school renaissance for yeah. people who might not yeah. be in the know. But I mean... That, that tendency to want to go back to earlier editions of d yeah. I don't think that's the Mercer effect. The OSR role started back pretty much like fourth edition era. And that's because fourth edition yeah. was abysmal. Yes. Fifth edition isn't that much better if you're looking at the difference between... Early D&D and 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said in our most recent podcast, I added System Shock rules for Resurrection Survival in my game because 5th right. edition is far too lenient yeah. on players not dying. And even when they do die, it's easily remedied with a third level spell. It's just that to me, if there's no risk, there's no reward. Somewhere in the back of the player's mind, there has to be risk. And 5th and edition has veered too much into the all, let's all just have fun, do whatever you want to do, and succeed all the time. You know, let's face it, if we had had such things as the availability of podcasts in the 1980s, when D&D 1st edition was around, and somebody did something like Critical Role, they could easily do it just with first edition as they do with fifth they edition. They could. It's, it's no real difference. Would it be as interesting, though? Because first edition I, I, is much more about mechanics, right? I mean, there you could, don't get me wrong, you can role play the hell out of first edition, but most groups didn't because they came from a wargaming background, yeah. right? Uh, the addition of, of the female gender to the table 
has improved Obviously. but we the, the game substantially yeah. but we have talked about it at length and that's kind of why both you and I are starting to kind of delve back into first edition is that we liked yes it's about mechanics but we liked the whole idea that you you said what you wanted to try to do or what you were going to do and you yes. didn't let the character sheet dictate that so here's a point I'm going to make critical role almost does that really yeah, they and again, I have not. Yeah. I know of Critical yeah. Role. I'm familiar with it, but I've not actually listened to it because they rely so little on mechanics. And they do make make a persuasion check, but before they make a persuasion check, they will act out what they're going to what try they're to, doing. Okay. I mean, they just had this last episode I watched. I'm one behind, I think. I mean, they were beseeching this uh, the Bright Queen, which is this sort of evilish empire. And I don't even know what race she is, but she's sort of. But they're trying to like mediate between these two empires, and the the player gave this like heartfelt like we need to sort of work together because there's this greater evil in the world, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it was it was impressive. And then Mercer's like, okay, make a roll. I rolled a nine, <laughs> which which is almost counterintuitive because at that point as a DM, I almost don't want to make him make a roll. Yeah, that's what I would say. Right. At that You're point, like, hey, you've done a good job. Your words have had more weight than a yeah, roll of a die. Yeah, because now what do you do with this nine? She just yeah. did an excellent job stating yeah. all the points. So that's what kind of what I wanted to say, but what I really said was, was oh, hey, oh. you're sort of fat on that throw. <laughs> yeah, you know, so they almost do that because they focus so much on the story and the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to... Hard to put into words how they play D&D because there's a million different ways to play D&D. Right. You know, honestly, they are, they're almost system neutral when you when you look at it. Like, they use their abilities, you know, when somebody's a, a cleric and what's that, the, 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 the trickery, mm-hmm. uh, trickery domain, and she can make her little double. So when combat comes, they they throw that out but honestly they don't do a ton of combat either because combat slows the game down you're starting to focus on mechanics more do you think that there's some background behind the scenes stuff that we are not privy to in terms of like you know some pre-podcast or pre you know you know what i don't i don't think they talk about that they want to take i know there's they've mentioned like how they have texted each other but they're all full-time working actors Mm -hmm. so there are times where um (laughs) one of the laura bailey walked in in a in a black evening gown looking ensemble because she had just come back from some award ceremony where she was nominated for an award because she wants to play D&D. So she didn't change. She just came right. And she left early. She's like, yeah, I didn't think I was going to get it. So you're pretty confident there's no behind the scenes scripting or or pre-planning. No more than any other group would do. Mm -hmm. You know, every once in a while, I'll shoot an email to one of my players saying, hey, by the way, like this happened or I want to want to let you know about this that's going to happen next. So you're ready. You know, it, it involves your backstory. So, so just to refresh you, or I think they probably do stuff like that, and maybe the characters work together. What are the big? So what things? they're doing is, wait, you get the impression it's very honest. It is, it is, and and here's the other thing with Critical Role: they are all about charity, right? Yeah, from that I from do know. Episode and I, I, one, I admire them for that. They do it. Travis Willingham, big into some of the military charities. His mm-hmm. family had a lot of active duty service members. Uh, you know, they do this homeless thing. They, they're they constantly plugging charities because they want to be a force for good. I think they are. And Matt Mercer is, by all accounts, an incredibly decent human being. Yeah. I mean, 
super nice, you know, they're just normal people that are, that are doing this and now are in the spotlight. So they're a bit under, under the microscope to some degree. Yeah. Hopefully nothing but, comes you know, up and it, that And ruins it annoys this. me that the people who criticize Critical Role, I've never watched an episode, you know, watch an episode and then criticize. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there, there's parts of it, that, you know, he's a little long-winded, his descriptions, the mechanics are a little light. That's my criticism. But on the flip side... I started watching Critical Role, and we always joke I have one accent, right? I, it's, yeah. it's some sort of French, Italian, Spanish, whatever it is. It's your Monty Python. Yeah. Uh, Monty Python. But honestly, I started to pay more attention to how to differentiate NPCs because I've watched Critical Role. Okay. You know, one, you know, you can do a raspy voice. You can do the same damn voice, your voice, just do it raspy or change the tempo of your voice. So mm-hmm. I've started to use some of those tools, which... I became aware of through Critical Role. I'm like, you know what? That's not that hard. Um, also, the trying to get players to get more in character, because I think that is sort that of the is next a, evolution. That is a tough thing to do, and kudos to them for, well, then again, they are paid out. And, and there's tricks as a DM you can do. I mean, some yeah. people go, well, how the hell do you do that? Well, if you always address the character as a DM, it's more likely that the player will respond as a character. Yeah. And it's sort of, you sort of wear them down. So that's <laughs> that's one of the... In a few of my games, I had some people who had been watching Critical Role. I wouldn't say they were watching it. They just saw some episodes and they remarked that, oh man, I should be doing more role playing or I should be doing more of my voice acting and stuff like that. But then when they got to the table, that just went right out the window. Yeah, it's hard to remember. Yeah. I mean, I do. I, I've been role playing forever. I make a point of trying to stay in character. And but sometimes you're just responding to something. Yeah, okay. Well, I just swing my sword. You know, it comes and goes. There's yeah. there's moments where you will sort of want to shine. I like to make a point of when I introduce my character. Mm-hmm. I sort of have a preset introduction. So like my my Don Diego who right. who thinks he's God's gift to to romance and he's not. He's played as like the the joke character. Right. Um, I go is I'm Don Diego and I've slept with hundreds of women, five men and three sheep. Yeah, it was consensual. There is polymorph in this world. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so you set the scene for the other players who are going to be at the table with you for yeah. how you're going to be. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, but then I also make sure not to build a character that's going to gimp the party. Like yeah. Don Diego's actually really effective in combat. Um but but the latest thing, and I yeah. have the miniature, was he fights better in no pants. You know? Right. Uh, so parts like that, you know, I used to say that. What's his AC? Don Diego? Yeah. Um, well, he wear it's not super high, but he's got two levels of war wizard so he can shield. So I believe it starts at 18 and it can go up to 23. Okay. But he's which, still, for the most part. Naked from the waist down. Well, he wears, uh, he has glamour studded leather, so it looks like whatever he wants it to. Okay. So I'm interpreting that to mean I can make it look like I have no pants. Okay. Right. There you go. Or flesh colored tights, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I could get better armor, but I want the glamour studded leather because normally he wears uh, the silk with the lace. Okay. You know, yeah. and his, his trinket you know, because you can get a trinket for every character, is a perfumed handkerchief. And, oh, my God, every episode, the perfumed handkerchief comes out. Like, invariably, in every dungeon, they're like, the odor of, of dung wafts. I get the perfumed handkerchief out <laughs> over my nose. Like, <laughs> yes, it's, it's sort of funny. But anyway, um, so 
I used to say that you should be able to learn something from anybody you meet, right? And I think that's if true. you're open to it. Yeah. So, and I this first came about when I was fencing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So people would be like, I don't want to fence that person because they're so much worse than I am. It's not going to do me any good. Right. And I would say, yeah. no, here's the thing. When you're fencing that person, you try the outrageous shit that you have no idea is going to work because they're not going to punish you for it right away. Yeah. Right. If it works against them when it's that move that you have, you know, uh, the whatever it is, that gives you time to hone that move and perfect it. Yeah. Right. If you go against me with that move, I'm going to stuff you. Okay, and it's never going to work, and you're never going to get any feedback whether that move's yeah. ever going to work. That reminds me of a time where, again, Eric and I were both in the uh, Society for Creative Anachronism, and at one time when fencing was first coming out, you had to authorize in it because, you know, oh my gosh, it's a real bladed weapon, and you know, this was yeah. before they had thought that. Well, you still have to authorize. You it, still right? do, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it was really they yeah. Were, they were real cautious. They're very cautious. Before that, we were just hitting each other with clubs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Real, <laughs> real armor, fake weapons, because any other combination results yeah. in death. Well, I was doing my authorization because I was going to be one of the fencing, yeah. you know, judges and stuff like that. And the person who was authorizing me, you know, we were facing off and whatever, and I kept scoring hits on her blade arm, you know, and I wasn't hitting any hits in, yeah. the, in the chest or anywhere else and she kept asking me why do you keep hitting me there why do you keep hitting because me because i can because it's open yeah and i told her that and she looked at me and 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 i think she just stopped at yeah. that point yeah <laughs> and i mean in theory during an authorization you want to see that you have a variety of technique yeah. and it's all safe but if she keeps presenting yeah, that she's exactly. not good enough to protect her arm right i mean i was like Okay, that's a legal hit, but yeah. you just kept leaving it open. Yeah. I'm going to take it. She needs to straighten her wrist because <laughs> mm-hmm. if your wrist is bent, your belt's yeah. not protecting your forearm. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay, so, um, so... But the same holds true for dungeon mastering. Yes. You should be able to sit at a table or watch somebody DM and sort of start to analyze their DM. What pieces of their DMing do I... Can I learn from? Yeah. Do, like, hey, I've never noticed that before. Mm-hmm. You know, I do that a lot of times. How do how do dungeon masters track hit points on monsters? Right? There's a variety of ways. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the best way is. I write it on the battle mat because then I don't have players going, well, which one's the most wounded? The numbers are on there, dude. Just whatever. See, I keep that all I keep that all hidden. And I yeah. use I use a variety of, you know, he's looking weak or he's still quite strong or, you yeah. know. And the other method that uh my friend Lance uses, he has note cards, and he uses it for both initiative and monster. So each monster has a note card. He just cycles through them, puts mm-hmm. whatever's on top. That's your turn. The next one now that I hang on my DM screen so that yeah. people know who's up next, and all the monsters go at the same time because I don't want to stat trackers. Yeah, there's, there's stat trackers. So, you know, same thing with Critical Role. I watch Matt Mercer, and I'm like, one, he's arguably in the top 5% of Dungeon Masters I've ever, ever seen. Okay. He's, he's good. Mm-hmm. Um, is he the all-time greatest Dungeon Master? Eh, maybe, maybe not, but he's close. I mean, he's, he's got the mechanics. He, he tells a good story, you know, especially for a homebrew world. And so keeps his people having fun. So if you're sitting there going, ah, I'm at Mercer, I don't know, there's nothing there. I, then guess what, dude? Like you need to broaden your horizons a little bit. Cause you, there's something you can learn from him. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there we go. You know, so we had a little bit of a talk about exploring. Yeah. Now, 
I, ironically, role, are you going to be buying these? That's uh, what I was just going to say. Ironically, at first, I was like, I'm not buying that book. What do I need it for? Like, I run in Greyhawk. Yeah. Greyhawk has a multitude of sources I can draw from. But I might actually get it just to put it on the shelf. Well, that's what I was going to say. You should, because you are kind of a completist. I myself am not going to, but uh, for yourself, I think you should. Yeah. I think you would regret not having it. The, and the other reason is because I want to support my local game shop. There you go. You know, so I order. That's it from always them. a good reason. I pay a little extra, but put it on shelf. I got the Eberron special edition cover. Yeah, I have a standing order with them. Any special edition covers, just put me down for it. I'll buy it. Right, uh, and. I don't play in Ebron. I don't like Ebron. Ever since back when they had D&D, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons Online was set in Ebron, it just sort of left a sour taste in my mouth. But I walked into the game store like, we have your Ebron special teaching cover. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, the one I really didn't want. Yeah. So. But that first special edition cover, I just saw something online. Like it sounds like $200 because really? not a lot of people bought the very first one and then it started to gain, yeah. gain steam. But anyway, so Critical Role, like... Don't be a hater. You're not helping anything. And if you don't want to watch drive it, yourself to an early grave. It's like any television show or anything. Yeah. If you don't want to watch it, don't watch but it. But if you truly love the hobby, you should support Critical Role, in my opinion, because it's it is making D and D available to the masses. Some people might not like that. So, you know, who was it? Mark Twain who said, "I don't want to be a member of any club that will allow me in" or something. Yes, I yeah, that was him. I mean, we're getting a lot of that mm-hmm. in Dungeons and Dragons yeah. now. You yeah. know, but in my opinion, they're doing nothing but good. They are. Upstanding people, young young people who love the hobby, love the game, and are exposing a ton of new people to it. Yeah. More power to them. It is making what we at one time thought was a niche hobby. Mainstream. Mainstream. Which some people don't like. Yeah, some people say as soon as something you know goes what? mainstream, it gets bad. You know what? You run whatever game you want at your table. Mm-hmm. Who cares? They've already got your money. Yeah. Who cares whether you know they're playing it at the coffee house? Run your game. Mm-hmm. So... All right. Well, that was our quick delve into Critical Role. For this opportunity attack, I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. Game on. (laughs) 